you don't have to sacrifice the connection with your family just because you're working more. And I would argue that a lot of people in your family, may not everybody, will respect you even more because of it. And yes. my kids know, man, I'm not building this for me. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'm joined on the line today by my good friend, Andy McCloy. Now, Andy's been on the show a couple times now, but in case you are unfamiliar, he has owned and operated Body Creations Incorporated for 23 years, which is his training business, and he has owned a brick and mortar business, also called BCI, for the last 11 years. So the thing that I love about Andy is he is always evolving. He is incredibly open about his journey, and that's what this little mini-series that I've been doing over the past couple weeks is all about. So it started with Luca, had Eric on, now I've got Andy, and we're just taking a really deep dive into great coaches. What does it take to be a great coach? How do you get started? How do you continue to evolve? What do you need to do for continuing education, finding mentors? It's all the things that I feel like young coaches need to hear. Because right now, I'll be honest, I, I can't imagine how hard it would be to be a young coach coming into this industry. Right now, you might just be in the gym and you're getting some success, you're having some wins, you're getting some new clients. Meanwhile, social media is telling you all the things you're doing wrong, how much more money you should be making. That's just not reality. So the reason I'm doing this is because I want young coaches to hear what guys like Luca or Eric Cressy or Andy have gone through to get to where they're at today. So real, raw, relevant information that I hope will help you become a better trainer or coach as a result. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump into this awesome new episode with Andy McCloy. Have you heard about the new iFast University? When Bill Hartman and I created iFastU in 2016, we had one primary goal, to make iFast University an elite resource for trainers, coaches, and rehab professionals across the globe. Continuing education is something that we've always taken great pride in here at iFast, and we wanted to create an extension of that with iFastU. Because here's the thing, there are tons of great trainers and coaches out there who legitimately want to learn from us and get better, but don't have the ability to come to iFast and do it in person. So whether you're a young, up-and-coming coach who's just getting started, or a seasoned vet of the training game, if you want to get better each and every month, I'm sure we have an option for you. We now have two membership options at iFastU based on your needs and goals, Standard and Elite. Our Standard option is like the Netflix of training con ed. Here, you'll have access to the complete iFastU archive, which has well over 100 in-depth videos on topics like program design, coaching, and anatomy and movement. Plus, every month you'll get a new piece of content from a world-class coach, someone that's gonna help you take your game to the next level. But if you're really looking to fast-track your progress, you may wanna get in on iFastU Elite. Here, you'll not only have access to the archives and monthly content drops like standard users, but you also have direct access to both Bill and I each and every month. Between two monthly Q&A calls, access to over 100 previously recorded Q&A calls, and direct access to both of us and our elite group of trainers and coaches via our private forum, this is a surefire way to get around the right people and level up fast. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to ifastuniversity.com. Again, that's ifastuniversity.com. We hope to see you in the U soon. 
Andy, man, thank you so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, if we start who I am, I'm a father. That's first and foremost. I've got a 27-year-old daughter. I've got a nine-year-old daughter. Uh, I'm also a grandfather. <laughs> so I have yeah. three grandkids at the ripe age of uh, 44 years old. Um, I'm a son. I got two great parents. I'm a brother. I got an awesome sister. I'm a husband uh, to my wife. And then uh, I own a gym. And I identify from a, I identify as a coach. That's who I am. That summarizes what I do in a lot of areas of my life. Yeah, I love it, man. And obviously, you've been on the show a few times. If you are new to Andy's world, I will make sure I link those in the show notes so you can find them. But dude, what's new since the last time we chatted? Because it's been a hot minute. Yeah, what's new in my world? A lot of growth here at the location in Madison and continuing to empower people to own their roles in here, uh, as opposed to me driving and dictating a lot of that. Uh, I'm really moving into kind of a pure visionary role to focus on expanding into some other areas in our community. We do have uh, an opportunity, like I mentioned to you, ironically, after this podcast, I'm going to look at a building in another location. I don't think you can jinx that. I don't really believe in it. <laughs> the math will either math or it won't. Yeah. But that That's where I'm at right now, looking at doing another facility and possibly doing a couple more. That's awesome, man. When are you going to move into the coffee game? That's what I really <laughs> want to know. Honest Coffee, is that the, the spot down there? I'll tell you what's the spot. Honest is the spot here. You, you, okay. You've been to Honest. It, it's yeah. the spot. I do think that's the best. But recently, I just got put on, for all of the coffee lovers, the brand Fellow. Are you familiar with that? Don't think so. Fellow. Okay, they make Fellow. really good coffee shop quality grinders, uh, okay. pour-overs that are, rel- that are affordable. So here recently, I invested in the fellow setup. I got a good grinder, a good scale, okay. a good all that good stuff. And the brand of coffee that I'm just in love with right now is called Onyx. Okay. Um, yeah, Onyx has some of the best coffee options um, available. And it's a great brand. Anybody that's really into coffee, they, they might know about it. Yeah. Uh, but they certainly appreciate it. Okay. One of my favorite memories of you is we were touring Indy one time looking at different breakfast spots and coffee spots. And we walked into one and you're like, nope. What do you mean? No, he's no, I can tell by the coffee Mission. maker. <laughs> yeah. The next one we go into and you're just like, yep, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough. It was the best coffee we had that weekend. Yep. So yep. that's yep. awesome, man. So one thing that I'm focusing on with people like you is the journey that you've gone through in your career. Because I think a lot of the young trainers, young coaches, they get caught up in the flash. They get caught up in the sizzle, the IG, the TikTok. So what I really want to do today with you, Andy, is just take like a deep dive into your coaching career, your evolution, and let's start base level. What got you started in coaching in the first place? I, I think lifting in sports, like a lot of us, right? Like it started yep. there for me, lifting uh, in high school. I I was a real knucklehead uh, when I was younger, and I ended up uh, having to go to three different high schools because of that. And ironic, this is in the early 90s, and yeah. I graduated in 97. Okay. And so my freshman year, I went to DeMatha High School, which if you're in the sports world, you might know about it. They were number one in the country in basketball and number three in the country in football. I was recruited to go there because I was a pretty good athlete, but couldn't really keep my head together or my attitude. And uh, that was rather <laughs> short-lived. But Big Mike was my strength coach there, and he, he was a real strength coach. And after that, I ended up going to Westlake High School. And I had a strength coach named Coach K, Coach Paul Kowalczyk, who is the epitome of a strength coach. He wore the coach's shorts. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, he literally used to eat raw potatoes in the morning just to show you that he was tougher than you. <laughs> and he, he was an absolute animal. You'd come into school early and he'd be in a full sweat. He had already got a workout in and yep. he lived it, man. And then the third high school, after some things at Westlake, uh, I had a guy named David Bradshaw and he was a real strength coach too, man. Like we lifted hard, we lifted heavy. It was very much in the powerlifting days. And because I was pretty damn strong, I had a connection to Mark's powerhouse in uh, Marlow Heights, Maryland. So anybody that's into powerlifting will probably know Mark's name. He was a really big guy in the powerlifting community. Yep. And powerlifting was my first kind of entrance into things from a strength standpoint. And honestly, at that stage of my life, I was really just trying not to go to prison. That was the goal. Let's avoid <laughs> going to jail because I was just, I, what do they say now? They say I was outside. <laughs> I, I was outside. <laughs> and but I always lifted that was always a thing despite being a knucklehead and I was at a gold's gym uh one day and this guy walked in with the Redskins old Redskins receiver Alvin Harper also played for mm. the Cowboys and they were walking through the gym and I was like man this guy's somebody like I don't like I can tell he's somebody he's walking with Alvin the owner talked to him I just something told me go talk to him and I went up and I talked to him and I said hey man I'm Andy I'm you know I'm really into lifting and stuff like, who are I don't, yeah. I don't remember how I opened that door but he was like hey man I'm Eric and I'm I'm here to look at an opportunity of putting a personal training company inside this Gold's gym and I don't know why I just I was like oh I've always wanted to be a personal trainer I had considered it but it wasn't like it was my life's dream right right he was like really and, and I just blurted out all the things I was dealing with in my life. Hey, man, I had a kid at 16 years old. I'm living on my own. I live in a project now in Indian Head. I'm, I'm just really trying to find my way in the world. And, and he was like, look, if you're open to it, meet me in Roslyn, Virginia at Gold's Gym tomorrow. I was like, all right. So I drive to Roslyn and I meet him. And as I'm driving through D.C., there's the statue of Iwo Jima and there's the condos behind it. And I remember... I always remember looking at those condos. Wow. What would it be like to live there? Yeah. After going to this gym and talking to Eric, he's, Hey, let's go to my, let's go to my place. He lived in those buildings. Wow. And he, I he started sharing his life story with me, which was very similar to mine. Mm. And I started to see in him what I could be. And I was just a troubled kid with very little options, but I was into sports and into lifting. And come to find out, he had corporate, he had memberships or exclusivity contracts at all the Gold's gyms owned by John and Kirk Galliani, who owned corporate licensing for Gold's at that time. So I locked into him and was like, man, this is what I'm going to do. And he really took me under his wing. He put me in a position of authority by eventually making me the uh, director of nutritional services, which really just meant I ran this software and I managed other people doing it by driving to all the locations. Right. And that was my first entrance into coaching. He helped me get my first PT cert uh, and all of those things. And then there was a series of events that happened in my life. Um, I had some friends that went to prison. I had some friends that, you know, were killed. And um, I remember telling my daughter's mother at that time, like I said, I had my first kid at 16. Hey, we got to get out of here. And my parents had already moved to Alabama. I just knew that if I stayed in the Washington, D.C. area, I'm going to prison or I'm going to get killed. Well, yeah. You know, the way I was living, they asked the two outcomes. Yeah. And so we moved to Alabama and I had a fresh start. And I, in my mind, I was going to come here and start a, a training program just like Eric. But I got here and I chickened out. I got a third shift job. <laughs> yeah. well, the, the misery of that third shift job drove some wisdom into me. And I realized I did not want to work a job like this. Yeah. So I went down to the old Gold's Gym. I handed them my personal training certification and they let me in the door. 
And a couple months later, after realizing they were only charging trainers $200 a month and the chance opportunity of me hiring a really or a really powerful lawyer hiring me to train him, we talked through the idea of what would it take for me to do what Eric did. I've told this story recently to somebody that I was interviewing, but he said, man, what you should do is put it in PowerPoint. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember calling the girl that I was dating at the time. I was like, hey, what's PowerPoint? And she like, I didn't know what it was. And right. uh, oh, it's like slides. And you, I was like, oh, okay, okay. So that night I went to my office, which back then was Books A Million. And uh, <laughs> I basically got a book on business plans and some other things. I was like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. I went to the restaurant that was across, sat down at the bar, got a drink and asked the lady for the bar napkins. And I laid the napkins out like a slide deck. A storyboard, dude. Yeah, I storyboarded it, right? Yeah. I just wrote through it and how I was going to persuade this guy to let me take over the gym. Long story short, that worked out really well. I mm-hmm. went to him and I said, hey, you're not making any money in here. All the trainers in here are doing different things. Your membership base is confused. There's no, no unified training system. Let me let me take a shot at it and I'll make you more money. So we entered into a revenue sharing deal. And this was probably around 2000. And about a year later, I did the same thing at two other gyms in this town. They were Riviera Fitnesses. And then around 2004, I realized that I was chasing money and I was completely miserable. There was no purpose behind what I was doing. Sure. And I started to meet, I started training a couple of athletes like around 2002, 2003. And it was funny how that happened because I'd really just started studying that stuff. I was on the old West Side board, the old mm. Charlie Francis board, the old yeah. Elite FTS board. Yeah. And that was where I was getting a lot of stuff. I'm printing out stuff and putting it into binders yeah. to study and read. And long, long story short, I felt that my life story and what I had been through afforded me a good opportunity. I could mentor young kids who are in a really difficult stage of life and help them not get involved in a lot of the things that I got involved in. Sure. And that became the purpose and the mission. And at that point, I'm learning about Charlie Francis. I'm learning about all these brilliant people. And I realized, man, I don't even have a degree I could I could barely name a couple of muscles. Yeah. So I got very serious about my education. I had such a respect for the people in it and the industry as a whole. I was like, if I'm going to be good at this, I've got to I got to really know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, I invested a lot in my education and started traveling to events and seminars and buying all the Russian training manuals, which was a waste of time. But yeah, you know, we've all been down that road. I do think it it had some value for me, if nonetheless just improved my certainty that I was educating myself. But around 2004, I met a coach and he invited me to basically run some speed camps at that school that I ran the first speed camps in this entire area. Nobody had ever done it. And after that, I negotiated a deal to be their strength coach and to train private market clients out of that school. I also then became a strength coach at another high school so I and multiple teams. So I was working with two schools, a wide range of teams. And a bunch of youth athletes. So my whole life from morning to night was actually coaching. Yeah. And I continued to do that for 10 years. I was able to run an overhead free business. And then I guess in 2013, we'd won a state championship. The coach that I was with on the football side, I was a good mentor to me. And he was like, look, you have said you're planning to do this. He was like, within the next year or two, I'm going to leave. And he was like, that might be the time. And yeah. I looked at that. I was like, all right, it's the time. And uh, so I guess it was 2012, I think, maybe 2011. Yeah, I think it's about then when I opened this place here. 
And uh, we've been here ever since. And there's a whole lot more to that. I could, I'll circle back real quick. In that time, my daughter, she turned 13. And from 10 to 13, she was dealing with some struggles and wanted to live with me. So I ended up getting full custody of her after two court battles, almost going broke twice. Still had to go to work and hold my head up and do what was required. But when I got custody of her, it really smacked me in the face because I realized this idea of me building a business, all I had done is create a job that I owned. <laughs> I could decide when I went to work, and but I didn't own a business, man, because I couldn't spend any time with her because I was yeah. taking care of other people's kids. And that was the big thing that made me go, man, all right, I got to really learn how to run a business. Otherwise, I'm looking at my future. My kid's not going to know me. Yeah, And that's what I did for the next 10 years, really from now and I guess it's been 13 years because she's 26, almost 27. I, I still study training on a regular basis, but a lot of my interests went into studying and learning business, hiring coaches, hiring mentors, joining masterminds, developing friends that I could communicate with like you, Luca, a lot of other guys just to help really sure up my knowledge and help filling gaps yep. that I had in my education because I didn't have a, a very linear path the way a lot of people did. I didn't go to college, get the degree, get the master's degree, do the internship. Right. I really had to learn a lot of this on my own through trial and error. That's 23 years and 44 years, really, almost in a very short period. <laughs> I don't want to bore the audience too much, but there, there's a lot in there. If you're enjoying today's podcast and not already subscribed to the Robertson Training Systems newsletter, what are you waiting for? When you sign up, you'll get immediate access to materials that will help you write better programs, motivate people outside of the gym, and improve how your clients move and feel. Plus, the RTS newsletter is the only place where I announce up-and-coming events like virtual summits, live seminars, and my program design mentorship. And last but not least, I hate spam as much as you do, so I will only email you when I've got something valuable to deliver, something that will make you a better athlete, trainer, or coach. So if you're not already subscribed, head over to robertsontrainingsystems.com and register for our newsletter right now, today. Now, that's enough for me. Let's get back into this week's episode. First off, I don't think I ever heard the first part of that story. Really? You going and meeting with the guy and going into the... That's amazing. You talk about like manifest destiny or yeah. something. That's super cool. And I don't know, man. I just, I really feel like I'm a believer that everything happens for a reason. Good and bad. Sometimes the bad stuff, you learn even more from that. But man, that's really cool. I'd never heard that. Also, for some reason, man, I guess I thought you started about the same time we did. Because we started in 2008. We're always trying to catch up to Cressy. We never will because they were 07. But I guess I didn't realize because I, I knew you for a coach for so long. I didn't realize you didn't open BCI until 12 or 13. Yeah, BCI was open. It was called okay. Body Creations Incorporated. Yeah. So at first, I just wanted to create this personal training company. And the goal yeah. was really to franchise them all over. Do you remember what year it was when Elite FTS had that seminar in Syracuse? Do you remember? Oh, my gosh. So Dude, well, I, I don't. It was a very long time ago. A lot of people yeah. remember that. But um, I had I had been trying to figure out what I was going to do with that business for a couple of years. Like, how am I going to grow this? What am I going to do? And I had a chance meeting with Dave Tate. And he talked about the E-Myth Mastery Program. Mm. So as soon as I got back, I enrolled in the E-Myth Mastery Program. And I built out this franchise prototype of how I was going to go into these gyms like Eric had done and get exclusivity contracts. And like almost as soon as I was done building it, the whole industry changed. 
They really yeah. quit letting in a lot of outside contractors. There was a period of time. I know it's come back around now. Yeah. There was a period of time where a lot of these gyms were like, no, we do everything in-house. Absolutely. And things switched. And I was like, here we are. Yeah. And I, again, looked at that as a sign, like, your mission is in sport performance. It's not in building a franchise training company. I didn't even know why I wanted to do that other than I didn't want to be broke. And right. uh, I wanted to make money. That was it. Yeah. So talk to me. You've mentioned a couple of times here, whether we're talking about coaching, whether we're talking about business, this idea of really diving into continuing education. So what made you get started there? Was it just that little voice in the back of your head? Oh, I don't have the degrees or whatever that this person has. What made you get into that? Because I know that's something ever since I've known you, you've been so like really militant about educating yourself. It's something I deeply respect about you. But what made you get started on that? path? If I'm honest, like in, I've figured it out now. Yeah. Uh, it was really insecurity, man. Yeah. And fear. It was, wow, all these people are really smart. Mm -hmm. And they're going to know that I'm a phony if I don't get smart too. <laughs> and now I hadn't read a book probably since third grade when I really got yeah. into this stuff. <laughs> but, uh, I did grow up with two parents who were big readers. My, my dad's side of the family, a lot of them are really smart. My grandmother had a PhD. My dad's brothers had PhDs, but I didn't get a lot of influence from them. I didn't spend a lot of time. My mom's family was the opposite. Yeah. So I never really latched on to school. I, I found a way to get through school um, using more of my ability to communicate, connect, persuade, which mm -hmm. I think just kind of got ingrained into me because of the, the environment I grew up in. But what I when I first started reading about training, I did feel like, oh, wait a minute, for some reason, this makes sense to me. And I think the fact that I knew I needed to do it to yeah. be respected and the fact that my first couple attempts at reading and understanding stuff went well, it hammered home to me like, oh, wait a minute, I can do this. Yeah. And I need, anytime I started to feel doubt, I would grab a book or a DVD or yeah. something because that was, that was the way that I like worked myself out of that self doubt. It was, so I just kept leaning on education. Now I think at some point it took a weird turn and it became a significance game. It was like, mm -hmm. Oh, I read that too. Oh, I read that too. Oh, yeah. I read that too. <laughs> and I recognized that about myself and that some of these things I read weren't really applicable to the private market environment. And this is why I was happy that I didn't have a lot of traditional training initially because mm -hmm. I would have felt obligated to bring that into the private market. Yeah. Where I started to recognize there's no way I can really build a perfect program in this world. All these kids have different coaches and the variables Absolutely. And, so, and so do your listeners, but that was helpful for me. And I I'd always say the thing that keeps a lot of really good strength coaches from building a really good business is that they're really good strength coaches. They can't see through their traditional training yeah. to modify variables that might not be perfect in the eyes of the literature, but still get results. Anecdotally, I've got a 23-year study here where I can tell you that doing things not perfect can create some very high outcomes with even some of the most elite athletes in, in the world. Yeah, no, I love it. Man, two things that you said. Number one, I think when you talked about when you were reading some of these books and it just naturally you were like, no, I, I get that. I think part of that is the fact that you didn't have the traditional background. You had this really entrenched practical knowledge. 
you learned on yep. the fly. So from when you were 18 to now 44, like it wasn't, oh, this is what this textbook says. And Tudor Bampa says I should, no, it's, hey, I tried this with this person. It worked. I'm going to keep doing it. Or this person didn't work. This didn't work with this person. I'm going to stop doing that. So yeah. I think that's huge. And look, I've got a girl right now I'm working with. I wrote this beautiful program for her, right? But you know what? This week she can come in three days. You know what three days she can come in? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I'm going to take her Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I'm going to adapt the program because that's what's going to work for her yep. and her schedule. So there's that. But then you something else you said. I think this is, God, this is such a great point. Craig Valentine is, right? Yeah. yeah so really. Craig always talks about action over anxiety. And I think, especially in this day and age, you hear the word anxiety so often. Man, anxiety is just, just that guilt in the back of your mind. You should be doing something. You should be doing something. What fixes that? Doing something. <laughs> you know what? Like, just go do something, right? So like, you start to feel insecure. You feel like you don't know something. Oh, man. But if I read this book, now I'm leveling up. Now I don't feel that anxiety anymore. And I think that's, that's just such a great take-home message. Yeah, man. That is probably, I would say like books you know, saved my life in a lot of ways, man. They, they really, and I call it mining for gold and it became my superpower. Mm -hmm. Even a lot of times now, if I make a comment on somebody's social media and I think it's really good, I'll just put the word gold because what's really hard now is if you're a young coach, like if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably pretty well plugged in, Yeah, but you oh, know how it is oh. for a lot of new people, right? Like they come into this industry and there's a lot of very persuasive characters that actually have no idea really what they're doing. They don't have the pedigree and you can fall down that trap. What's helped me a lot is figuring out who I needed to know, who were like the best in the world at these things, spending money, going to their facilities, taking their certifications, investing in those people, seeing if there's a way I could help them or share in some way. Yeah. And uh, I, that all started from reading those. Okay, I found the right books through the right people. And it's okay, how can I keep that going? Instead of just buying the books, or I remember I used to di dissect all your articles on T Nation, Eric Cressy's. I used to dive into that stuff. Again, print them out. Joe DeFranco, he was another one. Yeah. James Smith, all these guys. I would really just dissect their stuff, but it was like, okay, how do I take that next level? And this was, I don't even know the year, but it's when more continuing at seminars became a thing. And I would search out these kind of obscure seminars um, <laughs> until it became a bigger thing. And then I was like, this is deepening my knowledge because now I can go meet with other people studying the same things over beers and food. We could talk about those things. And then I selfishly, I think in my mind was like comparing myself, although I would say this is a very unhealthy thing. Yeah. But I needed it for me to be like, I belong here. I'm smart enough. I belong here because if you looked at who I was training and the type of athletes I was training, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but there, there wasn't many people training the amount no. and quality of athletes I was training. No. You have some absolute and, studs. Um, yeah, that have we, come we've, through had, your... we've had 13 kids that grew up in my program that have gone to the NFL. We've had yeah. multiple kids that have grew up in our program that have gone to major league baseball, the NBA. We stopped counting a couple of years ago, like 270 some division one scholarships of kids that have trained wow. here. That's amazing. And uh, there's not a lot of places that can do that, but I still had this, this inferiority complex, because a lot of that, quite frankly, has to do with geography. I moved to a really good place with a lot of great athletes and, ironically, a place that had a lot of expendable income, too, which I didn't realize. So the good athletes could afford my services. 
And the ones that didn't, I had a special place for them in my heart and I'd scholarship them and take care of them. Yeah. I love it, man. Okay. So something else I'm curious about who influenced you early on as a coach, right? Who are the people you were looking up to? And then how did you take the stuff that you were learning and infuse it into what you were doing on the gym floor? So early on, like I got into Gary Gray's stuff. Uh huh. And because it was, it just was so opposite to powerlifting and bodybuilding. Yeah. yeah. But that didn't last real long. It just didn't speak to me the way a lot of other stuff did. But I would say Westside, mm-hmm. Joe Ken, and Mike Boyle. Yeah. Those were the big ones early on that I latched onto. And Coach Ken's. That's a pretty good crew right there. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty sure. solid, right? But I remember I would call Elite FTS and talk to Jim Windler. Jim was, <laughs> this is back yeah. when Jim would answer the phone yeah. uh, at Elite FTS. Pre-531. Yeah, pre-531. Pre <laughs> but like, and I would beat Jim's ears up, man. And uh, he was always very kind to me. So Jim's got to go in there. Yeah. Again, Dave Tate was influential. But the two people that I say have been my mentors uh, or Joe Ken and Mike Boyle, even though I did a mentorship of Boyle in 04. Yep. But uh, Coach Ken as a whole, man, has just been really solid for me. I, I talked about that insecurity and overcoming that. And one of the ways I did overcome that is I had a kid who he'll tell you, I raised up in the weight room. This kid played four years of college football and never touched a weight. He would just, he worked for, a, or he played at a HBCU and they didn't have a real organized program. And he just got out of it. Yeah. He was a very draftable kid though. And I raised him up in the weight room. He got drafted after he's with the Dolphins for a while. He ended up going to the Panthers. And that's when Coach Ken was there. And me educating myself helped a lot with that. But there was one day where he told me, he was like, man, you've done a great job with this kid. Like you handed him off. He's a very good lifter. He's competent. You handed him off to me, not injured. Yeah. He gave me some really good advice there. He said, that's your number one goal when working with professional athletes, just get them to me healthy. There's like so many people mess them up when that was big for me. So there's, there's a lot of other people, man, that were instrumental. You and Eric were big influences because one, I could probably write at a third grade level at that point, but I just really loved T nation and you guys were becoming big names there. And so there's a lot of people, but if you made me name two, it would be coach Ken and, and Boyle. Look, one thing that I always appreciated too, like being on stage with Joe was always entertaining, right? We did those three Eid seminars yep. over the years. And I know you attended most, if not all of those. I was so I always, <laughs> I, exactly. So I always loved the banter between you guys, but you can always tell who Joe really respects and yeah. the way he talks to people. And I could just tell, no, he respects Andy and the work that you've done. So that was very cool yeah, to see man. that side of it. And look, like you said, okay, if we're taking kind of the bird's eye view of the early 2000s. If you got West Side slash Elite, you got all your powerlifting foundational strength there. Joe's one of the first people that's actually talking about you developing all these different physical qualities with tier system. And then Mike Boyle fills in all the gaps when he's talking about split stance and single leg. And man, that's a really really strong crew to, to learn from early on in your career. Yeah. And then even if you go back to Gary Gray, the multi-planer stuff, like I still, I kept a lot of that in what I did with people. And ironically, just falling into those places really helped round out my education in a lot of ways. I think we're always looking for blind spots, right? Or 
good people that aspire to be good coaches, program designers are always looking for blind spots. And you take those three, you infuse it the right way. There's not a lot of blind spots in your program. And if you look further into who are their mentors, who did they learn from? Now you really, which again, some coach can hammer home is you got to know your history in this industry. Yeah. It's amazing to me that there's strength coaches that don't know who Johnny Parker is or Boyd Upley or people like that. I felt obligated to go back and learn that history, like yeah. UF history. I need yeah, to know is. this industry. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So we talked about this pre-show and I really want to hear your thoughts here because yep. I feel like personally, most, maybe not all, but most coaches at some point doubt themselves, right? I think it's logical because there's this perception that, hey, it doesn't matter how good you are, the quality of the work, that everybody out there is doing better work, right? And it's even, I think it's even harder now because of social media and all that. Everybody's flashing their highlight reel, who they're working with, the success they're having, all that. So I think it's natural, right? But I'd love to hear, did you ever go through a time where you really doubted yourself as a coach? And if so, how did you get through it? I think that was probably the thing pushing me along all the time. It's probably always playing in the background of my head. It was a constant, you have to know so much about this stuff and be so good at coaching that nobody goes, hey, what school did you go to? Because I never wanted to answer the question of, oh, I didn't go to college. So really smart guy that most people know about now is that Alex Hormozy guy. Oh, yeah. And, and, and he's got a quote where he says, outwork your self-doubt. And mm. that resonated with me so much. It was on this whiteboard. I wrote it really big for, and literally I did it like last year. I wrote out work yourself doubt because it's still a constant in my life, man. I don't have a lot of the measurables like the degrees and shoot NSCA wouldn't even let me sit for a CSCS. And I would, I would smoke that test on a bad day. <laughs> and so I always had that. But for me, it was like, okay, what are the people that I respect reading? What are they doing? Who are they learning from? Where are they going? And I just leaned into that. If I didn't trust myself, it was like, okay, I trust them. Yeah. And I'm just going to follow what they do. Yep. And then I really I hadn't been around a lot of strength coaches. Like I was in my own bubble. I think I went to go visit Joe DeFranco in like two or something. I went to Jersey. I, like I said, I went to Boyles in 04. Yeah. I joined a mastermind early on and I started getting around other coaches even coaches I respected and going, oh, wait, I do have a handle on this. Like, I do understand it. And then I had a body of work. It was pretty daggone good, man. Like the amount of kids and the quality of athletes I was training across multiple levels started to close that gap for me. And surely I don't have all these people fooled. Like I might be kind right. of good at this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, I so I was about to jot this down, but I'll just say it. I really feel like if we're being totally honest and transparent, 80% of training and coaching is common sense. <laughs> like 80% of it. Now, the next 20% you're going to have to work for, right? Because yeah. that's the details and the nuance. And now it's so much easier, right? So think about back in the day. Okay, yeah, we had the major resources. You had Westside, you had Elite, T Nation, Mike Boyle. But a lot of the nitty gritty stuff, maybe you didn't have the same access to. But yep. now it's what do you want to learn about? Linear speed, perfect. There's people for that. You want to learn about multi-directional speed, got that. Conditioning, force plates, braking. It's just so much easier now because there's all the realms and then all like the little segments of it versus back in the day, you had to really apply yourself. And yeah. there was just more process to it. Okay, who are these people? 
Who have they trained? Do they actually know what they're talking about? Do they fit into like my philosophy and my filter? So I don't know. It's a lot. It's a, in some ways it's easier now because there's so many more people to learn from. But I feel like in some ways you also have to filter that much harder now yes. because it's so easy to look good on the internet. So that's actually a part of my strategy to educate our coaches. Okay. I, I realized that it's harder than ever to find the good because yeah. there's so many, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody who really doesn't know what they're doing could be just using some exercise they found and they're persuasive and you might actually believe them and fall down the wrong trap. So knowing that people are learning through these like little Instagram sound bites and videos, when we onboard a new coach, I start sending them your content. Altus's content, like whatever mm, I yeah. trust and, and value, I send that to them to give them that filter early on. And I, I like literally that. tell them, stop following accounts other than the ones I send you or <laughs> the ones that you really dig, like run it by me. And I will yeah. tell you, all I got to do 90% of the time is go check who they follow. Oh, and yeah. I can tell you whether or not they're in the know or they at least align with the philosophy that we believe in here. So yeah. I do think you need a filter more than ever because yes. everything is coming at you at one time. Whereas for me, it was like, understand strength and power first. Yeah. Then it was understand speed. And then really I came to movement after that. And then right. shit, I'm still learning about a lot of stuff, man. I have different <laughs> perspectives on conditioning and movement than, than I ever have. So. Yeah. Part of that is the aging process, right? <laughs> and You're constantly reminded you can't just bang heavy weights all day, every day anymore. As Especially much as it, it would be fun. My world. I got oh. two titanium hips to show for it. <laughs> it's funny you say that because that's something that we're trying to do too as we're moving to more of an independent contracting model out of our gym. But they're still reflective of iFast, right? Yep. Even though they're not repping iFast, by law, they can't wear iFast stuff while they're on the floor because yep. then they could be considered employees. But that doesn't mean I'm not trying to educate them, right? right. We got a new kid starting. Hey, I'm going to get him in my cert. I'm going to get them part of iFastU. Hey, what are you into? Speed? Perfect. Here's five people you need to be learning from, like trying yep. to just guide and shape that next generation, which actually takes me like directly into my next question. Because one thing I've always respected about you is I feel like, yeah, you're Andy McCloy and you're the owner of BCI. But at the same time, you've always done a really good job of grooming the guys and girls underneath you right? Like you yeah. always tried to pay that forward. And obviously part of that's business oriented, right? Yeah. <laughs> you want your coaches to be good because it's good for you. But is there a bigger picture or meaning behind that for you? Because it feels like there is. Yeah. It's, it's trying to give people what I needed, like what I had to mm. go search out for. Yeah. Like I can now provide that for you. And I tell coach, like I can unfairly advance your education. If you get plugged in here, you will know more in a shorter period of time than the vast majority of people. And I like this idea of walking with people. It might be a an authority issue, right? Because one thing we didn't really talk about is I've never really had, I've had two other jobs in my life. One is a trainer. And then when I first moved to Alabama, I took a third shift job, like babysitting computers. Yeah. And then I just jumped out the window and said, I'm starting a business. So I, <laughs> I've really just worked for myself the vast majority of my life. But I never wanted to be anybody's guru. Yeah. Even the coaches I mentor, I'm like, man, I'm not your guru. Like, that. don't look to me like that. I want to walk with you on this path, and I'll help you make decisions at each turning point mm -hmm. that could possibly save you money, time, and headaches. So that 
that has been the overarching philosophy is it's always coaching. It's always mentorship. And the best way that I can do that is not sitting across from the table at you telling you things. It's to sit beside you or walk beside you and help nurture you through that path. Mm, I like and that the average coach has worked here about six years. So we've got I was to gonna say, your staff. They stay and they stick. Yeah. And I, I think that's a testament not only to you getting out of their way, right? Like yep. they don't feel like you're impeding their progress, but in fact, quite the contrary, you're helping them grow and get better. And it's a testament to you and the business, right? Because I think in some ways at IFAST, man, it was like, yeah, we were successful. We built great coaches, but then other people want great coaches. <laughs> yeah. So hard. it's hard to keep those people. So that it's a testament to you that you found a way to keep them with you as well and continue to give them opportunities to grow and evolve. That's really awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that did, that very much has to do with the realization that I had when I got custody of my daughter. It was like, this can't be about me. This, this, yeah. this can't be built around my name, my personality, my, because for years, and our staff even talks about like when they first started. So you're talking about less than 10 years ago, the talk in this town is, hey, are you going to Andy's today? Are you going to Andy's gym today? So even though BCI was a thing, it was still Andy's, Andy's gym. Yeah. But now I'll walk in this gym and I'll meet somebody and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And they'd be like, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm Andy. I'm the guy that owns this place. <laughs> so it's, it's weird yeah. now that I don't know the majority of people here. Yeah. But again, talk about building like a real sustainable business. that's not 100% personality driven, right? Mm -hmm. Like your personality, like if you don't show up, business dries up, right? That's right. Now you go away. It's what Cosgrove used to always talk about, right? When he had cancer, yo, he can't be in the gym for six, nine, 12 months. How did your gym operate when that happens? Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. When we, he we said that, a, it makes you think. It does. It does. That EMIT program was really helpful for me to make me aware of that. We have the laborer, the manager, and the entrepreneur. And you can't wear all the hats and really build a business. Yeah. And I knew that I needed to ascend to a level where I didn't have to do the day-to-day -day operations. And I think there are less people now than ever who are looking at building a training business through that lens. It seems to be now very content-driven, very personal brand-driven, which I don't think is wrong. And I fully accept Kanye selling $19 million worth of Yeezys on the Super Bowl commercial that he shot on his cell phone shows That's you the power of brand over marketing, right? Yeah. But if your personal brand is your business, you are attached to that for forever. Yeah. And quite frankly, I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do. I've got a lot of interests and as ate up as I am with this stuff, I didn't want to put my name on the door. I didn't want it to be about me because I recognized that would be a lot harder to walk away from. Yeah. I know that's something Eric's talked about in the past. I bet. Pretty sure somebody tried to talk him out of that and he's like, no, it'll be all right. And now he's like, damn, why did I put my name on the business? <laughs> yeah, it's you forever at that point. Yeah, you alluded to this, but I think that everyone in our shoes who has done the dual thing, right? You're the coach, like the coach, at least for a certain period of time, and the owner of the business. At some point, you realize that if you want to take these things to a really high level, you can't do both at the highest levels, right? Because as you ascend, you get around really good coaches and you're like, wow, I want to be like them. And then you get around really good business owners and you're like, I want to be like them. It's almost impossible to do both at a high level. So I'd love to hear your thoughts here. Number one, do you agree? 
And if so, which way do you find yourself leaning more these days? I totally agree. Totally agree. I think in order to run a really good business that lasts, you have to start with your coaching pedigree. Mm -hmm. I do think at some point in time, you have to switch and put the same level of effort that was put into your coaching pedigree into understanding how to run a business. And again, I'm probably biased to that because that was my, my path and my journey. Yeah. But I, I do talk to a lot of sport performance and fitness business owners. And a lot of times the solutions that I provide or input I provide come from my understanding of strength and conditioning, not mm. so much my understanding of business. There's specific things with how people run programs. I'll give you an example. Yeah. Somebody says, I, I just, I can't get enough leads and our attrition is too high. Okay. Somebody's going to tell you direct response, maybe do some internal stuff to form bonding capital. But I always start going, does the product suck? <laughs> yeah. Are you struggling to get clients because your reputation is not that you're an expert in your community? Mm. And if you took more time to become an expert in your community, would you get more leads? And I, and would you keep more clients? We've had kids that started in our program at eight years old. They didn't leave till they were 18. Yeah. So Jaden Hill plays for, played for University of Florida, but he, with Texas A&M now, he started at eight years old. That's uh, Jamil Muhammad that plays for USC. He started with us like 10 years old. Wow. And it's, they knew where to go because they wanted to, they knew that my spot was the spot. And then because it was good, they stayed. Yeah. I had a kid that just left the Titans. He's now with the uh, Saints. He sent me a message the other day. He said, the best strength conditioning I've ever had in my life. He also played at a big-time SEC school. They're all leave nameless. said that, hands down, the strength conditioning he got here was better than anywhere else he's ever been. And I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. It's just no. I'm just telling you the truth about what this kid has said. And I think the biggest mistake that a lot of sport performance and fitness business owners make is thinking that, all the business solutions have to do with the mechanics of business operations and sales and marketing. If you aren't that good at the job, that's always going to affect your ability to build a business. And you've been in a bunch of masterminds too, right? When, oh, yeah. when you enter into a mastermind, nobody goes, are you any good as a trainer? They just <laughs> automatically start teaching you the marketing and the sales. And they, they have to assume that you are good, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that creates this misalignment of expectations and an understanding of really what's required to build a good training business. One of the things we've talked about now is we bring in coaches and nobody knows how to coach anymore. Like yeah. we, me and you probably start, I started one-on-one. -on -one. Absolutely. One-on-one. Yep. -on -one. So then if you can do one-on-one, -on -one, you can do one to a few, then you can do one to many. But we got a lot of people coming into this industry and their first entrance was something like, say, CrossFit or Orange Theory, which- yeah. Listen, I, I think they all have their place. Sure. I'm not trying to shit on those brands. Yeah. But I've literally turned it CrossFit coaching, where you stand in the middle of the room and you watch people in a very authoritative position, hands on <laughs> hips, maybe. Yeah. Throw a couple claps in and let's go. <clears throat> and the timer and the workout of the day dictates everything in these random ways that they regress and progress. I, I think that's setting people up for failure, man. They yeah. don't really know how to coach a person. They know how to manage a room. Yeah, that's something that, we're working on here. We are we're actively working now to continue to tighten up our coaching product 
And because that is, that's what we hang our hat on. And it, it has to be constantly changed and iterated to stay at standard. Look, here's the best point that you made is what most of us don't understand, or maybe you do now, if you've been in this game for a little while, this game has changed a lot in yeah. 10 years. Think about the, just the absolute, like earth shattering numbers that CrossFit was doing 10 years ago, right? Where is CrossFit now as a brand? So imagine <laughs> that. But now when you and I opened, and I'm just going to lump that into the last 10, 15 years, hey man, everybody was trying to do small underground warehouse style gym, semi-private, like that was the model. But oh man, what's going on now? All these fitness franchises, right? And you, hey man, you don't need a skilled coach to run an Orange Theory class. And again, I'm not, that's not a down thing. Hey, if that's what you want as a fitness consumer, by all means, go do it. But yep. guys like you and I, we hang our hats on running a coaching-based model. And so if you're going to run that, better make sure you got damn good coaches running that model. Absolutely. Because the guy that just stands in the middle or the girl that just stands in the middle and claps a couple times and barks orders, they're not going to cut it in our gyms. Not at all. And I think it's a very important thing for coaches to understand for a really important reason. I remember when CrossFit hit. Actually, I had heard about CrossFit in 04, 03, yeah. sitting in a USAW Olympic weightlifting certification in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. That guy next to me started talking about it. He worked for the Scottsdale Fire Department, and they were okay. doing it. He sent me the journals, and I started reading it. I was like, this is not true. What are they talking about? <laughs> this, is, this is not what I have been reading about for the past right. however long. Right. And so I did not jump on that bandwagon the way a yeah. lot of people did. But what helped me and where I'm going with that is my understanding of training and coaching gave me the certainty that I did not have to join that club to be successful. <laughs> right. And it also gave me ammunition to fight back against them if we were fighting for clients. Show me any research that high rep cleans done in a fatigued state is going to develop the same outcomes that we can create doing it the way that Olympic lifting is traditionally programmed. Yeah. Doesn't exist. Well, maybe some CrossFitter exploited some research by now, but yeah. And again, this is not to pick on CrossFit. I think they've done a lot of good stuff. It's just that my certainty, and maybe it was a little arrogant, but my certainty that I know more than these people, it kept me going. It, it, it was like, I will fight. What I won't do is quit. I'm not an engineer that started a CrossFit box as a second stream income. This is what I do. Yeah. And yeah, that's worked out pretty good. I love it. Okay. One more kind of biggish question and then we'll jump into our lightning round. So this is like the evolution of Andy McCloy, right? Because obviously you've done the coaching thing. Now you're evolving. You're into the business side of this. And a lot of people, I think, go through this, right? People that have been in our shoes. Like I very clearly remember there was a point in my life where I was like, I don't want to manage 10 people. I don't want to franchise a gym. Like I enjoy the coaching side of it. No, nothing about this business pulls me so hard in that direction. That's where I want to spend my time. So that's why, okay, we're going to shift our business model and I'm going to do what I do. Was there a moment like that for you where you're just like constantly getting pulled in these two different directions and you're like, I can't do both at the level I want. I'm going to, I'm going to triple down on this. Yeah. And again, it was probably when I got custody of my daughter, but there was also, I share with my coaches uh, the importance of being present in their role. And if you're coaching, you're coaching. Because I, I remember being out on a football field and I was running some athletes 
And all I could think about was everything I needed to get done on the business side. Mm, yeah. And I remember thinking, you got to get off the floor because if you keep doing this, your business will go down because you're not the same coach. Yeah. I started to realize that my mind, and this is just like what's required, like paying the bills was more important than like assessing the joint angles of this kid's sprint. No matter how hard consciously I wanted to focus on that, subconsciously my brain was over here. And that made me go, man, you got to get this right. And that was scary because again, yeah. the only thing I knew was coaching and my identity was coaching. The only thing I knew I was good at, am I going to even be any good at trying to run this business? I knew I was pretty good at sales. In fact, I told somebody the other day, I think I've sold probably more face-to-face -face sport performance contracts than anybody in our industry, just sheer time and, and volume. Yeah. But yeah. those were the two things I knew I was good at. I could sell my program and I could coach my program. Could I lead other people? No clue. Could I build a business that I understand some of the things I understand now in regards to financial management and uh, the purpose now is build one cash flowing asset and put it in another. I didn't yeah. understand that stuff. I didn't know if I'd be any good at any of it. I think there's a really important message here. And fear gets a bad rap. We should all be fearful, right? It's baked into us as humans, right? If you see a bear or some wild animal when you're out hiking, you should be fearful. But I think there's the presence of fear and then something that you have always done along the way is you've stepped into your fear and you've stepped into your discomfort. You haven't let that ruin you. Yeah. And I think that's something that every coach, every entrepreneur needs to understand is there's always moments of self-doubt. There's always moments where you're leveling up or trying to take that next step. It should be uncomfortable. Yes. And I think the way they try and sell it on social media and the way people try and sell it now, they try and make it sound easy. It's not. It's not, it's not, and it shouldn't be. It right. should be. Growth is never easy. It shouldn't be comfortable. It takes time and it takes effort. And if you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not getting better. Yeah. And everybody thinks that they're going to walk into a gym and have their perfect job at the perfect pay, the perfect <laughs> hours they want to work. And there's absolutely no evidence that this will ever work in any industry. Yet it's become this dominant message. And I think it's, it's baked into society now. People that would rather stay at home than go to work. And again, I'm yeah. not judging you. I'm just stating the facts. If any of you are sensitive listening to this, but <laughs> it's, it's, I had zero expectation that anybody was going to hand me anything. And I think that mental positioning forced a level of commitment, almost a compulsive and obsessive nature that served me well. And th this Sunday, this past Sunday, I did a two hour in staff with our team and some of the new coaches were onboarding really just a reality check of what coaching is and what it isn't yeah, and what it takes to be good. And I told everyone, I was like, listen, guys, I want you to spend time with your family. I want you to enjoy watching football games, but I want you to know something. When I was coming up, I looked at people like that as food yeah. because while you're watching football, I'm reading, studying, and coaching. While you're doing all the things with your family, like I didn't go on a vacation for over a decade. Yeah, that's crazy. And I'm not saying don't do those things because you know me, like my family's first, man. I put them yeah. first. I build my life around them. But there was a time in my life where it was required to put yeah. my, my job and my business first. And we're being sold that you don't have to do that. So, yeah. Okay, well, if you just want to be like an average coach and work somewhere and hop around gym to gym, you may not have to do that. But if you really want to be good, 
if you want to be great, dare I say, like it's going to require an extra effort. You can't work like the other guy at the gym. Yeah. You have to work harder than him. Yeah, dude. So Eric and I talked about this exact topic and we talked about the willingness to sacrifice, right? Sacrifices must be made if you want to be good or dare you say great. Yeah. And I love training analogies, right? But if you want to be average at all things, go out and just do a little bit of everything, right? But if you want to be a great trainer and coach, at some point, you're going to have to push yourself. Now, it's not to say you do that at the detriment of everything else in your life, because, hey, you do it well enough and long enough at some point, now you can start to maintain those other physical qualities, right? Hey, I move pretty well. Now I'm going to layer on some strength. Okay, now I'm going to maintain these two. Now I'm going to add in conditioning. It's just like training. It's a little bit callous way to look at your personal life. But that's how you you're objective about it, right? Because if you think just magically, you're going to do the same thing forever and like level up in any area of your life, you are sorely mistaken. I, I totally agree. And like my kid, they know I love them. They know I care about them. And if I got to work on a Sunday to do a two hour in staff, uh, they're not going to forget that. Yeah. And if you so if you're doing your job when you are at home and you are present, you don't have to sacrifice the connection with your family just because you're working more. And I would argue that a lot of people in your family, may not everybody, will respect you even more because of it. And yes. my kids know, man, I'm not building this for me. Yeah, it's for me, but I got kids and grandkids. I got to be able to leave them something. Yeah. And I don't want them to think that you can do that sitting at home eight hours a day because that's just not reality. <laughs> All right. And I want them to know that you got to work hard for things that matter to you. And Ed Milet's got this great video where he's talking about being the one. I'm the one in my family. I'm the one. And that really that really resonated with me. It's like, yeah. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to yeah. make sure that I leave something for my kids. And I have ideas of what I want that to be. But it's more important that I hold myself accountable to the process required to get there. And that might mean traveling to go to some masterminds or meetings or seminars or in staffs on Sundays. The one thing I won't ever ask anybody on my team to do is something I haven't done. Yeah. And done that. yeah, I love that. And I just always think about when it comes but comes down to it, like you said, sacrifices have to be made. But like you, my kids know if I've got to do something on a Saturday, it's there's no other day to do it. That's when it's got to be done. And think about the messaging in that, right? It's I'm not sacrificing you. It's this is important, right? This is what hard work looks like. Sometimes we have to make sacrifices, but on the back end, you also know, I'm going to find a way to make it up to you. We're going to go do something special. We're going to go find something else to do. It's never a, no, I'm always putting my work above you. It's, hey, if this has to get done, it has to get done. It's part of my job. Yeah. It's an opportunity right? to coach your kids. Like my, there was a couple of weeks ago, my daughter said, I said, babe, I got to go to the gym. And I got to work on something. It's really important. And my daughter is clever as she is. She looks at <laughs> gives me the pouty face and goes, more important than me. <laughs> and she and she was joking like I could tell, like yep. kind of giving me crap. And I said, let me tell you something. There is nothing more important than you to me. But when it comes to comparing going to the gym to work on this versus us sitting home and just hanging out, right now that is more important. Yeah. But don't you ever equate that to your worth and value in my life. Yes. Right? So there's an opportunity to to coach and connect, even when you have yes. to make sacrifices, but yes. people, they just see the sacrifice. They don't, they don't understand that there's actually some real value in showing your kids and your family that too. 
Yeah. The thing I always come back to is I hope I'm showing my children that you don't have to go to work every day and be miserable. Right? Yeah. I'm just being totally honest. I love my job, dude. I yeah. love what I get to do. I'm passionate about it. I'm there's never, maybe not never, very rarely <laughs> is there a yeah. day that I don't want to go to work. And I hope they understand that, hey, man, yeah. you don't have to be miserable like so many people out here. You can wake up every day, love your job, be excited about it and want to grow and get better. So that's right, man. That's all right. right. Lightning round, dude. Four oh, questions. Sure. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. All right. Okay. So I'm a little slow on the uptake here. The shoe game, man. Uh, I don't think I'll ever achieve your level of wisdom, but man, we're starting to get into it around here. I got yeah, some yeah. decent shoes. My daughter, definitely. She loves the oh, shoe game. Yeah. So you got to pick one pair to rock. And I know this is probably an impossible question for you. One pair to rock the rest of your days. What are you going with? I'm going to give you two, but I'm going to answer it differently. Okay. Because I, could, I couldn't wear the one every day because it would jack my you know knees and hips up. I, okay. I figured that out. But from a everyday shoe I could wear forever is like any type of Dunk or Jordan 1 low. Like okay. it, any of those. Okay. But if you really know shoe culture and shoe history, this is this might be interesting for some yeah. of your learners or your listeners. If you grew up in DC, Baltimore, Philly, New Balance was cool in the 90s the way it is now. Really? But it's one of the only places. I was blown away when I moved to Alabama. Everybody looked at New Balance as just like a bad shoe, right. like a dad shoe. Yeah. What would be interesting, if you literally Google New Balance, Washington, D.C. culture, I bet you'll come up on some articles that I've shared with people. Okay. New Balance was the first $200 tennis shoe. In my world, and it was the 990, to be clear. Yeah. In my world, Jordans were cool, but 990s were cooler. Because this is what really like the street hustlers, people that you knew they had money. They drove nice cars. They wore 990s because they were comfortable okay. enough to wear all day on the block and run if you needed to. <laughs> and they also were pretty fashion forward, but went with everything. They were gray and they were blue back then or yeah. like a navy blue. So yeah. they matched everything. Okay. So the 990s, man, culturally have a lot of significance in my life. And it's been cool now that it's making a resurgence. And I still think... New Balance, like the 860s, the 990s, and there's a couple other silhouettes. They're just, they're just world class, man. And, yeah. But I can't wear a shoe that has that much support these days without my knees and my back hurting. So huh. I, I rotate them a good bit. Okay. Yeah. See, I expected the Dunks or yeah. Jordan ones, but yeah, yeah, did not expect New Balance. Yeah, I, okay. throw, I figured I'd throw you a curveball there. So. That was definitely a curveball. Yep. Okay. Number two, I feel like we've already touched on this a little bit, but just to summarize, how has being a dad? impacted you it's my whole identity it's it's it I shouldn't say it's my whole identity it's a big part it's a big part and it's i've been a father more years of my life than not at 44 years old it's, yeah. it's really all i know it's given purpose to my life it's humbled me it's helped me get my ego in check made me realize what's really important in life it's helped me people everybody's on a trauma journey these days right everybody's yeah. healing from trauma yeah. Well, being a parent is it'll reflect back to you the areas of yourself that are unhealed or that you need to work on. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. It showed me a lot of things about myself at times that I didn't really like that I had to work on. And that's been really valuable for me. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so you have owned BCI for 11, 12 years now, approximately. Well, yeah. It's been 23 years since I incorporated the company. I've been in this building, I think, 12 or 13 years. Okay, that's where I'm going with this. Yeah. 
What's one or two of the biggest lessons you've learned running a business in a physical location? That being a really good coach can overcome deficits in regards to marketing. Facts. And, and again, this is not the common talk now. Yeah. Because if you're a fitness person and you log on to the internet, all you're going to be bombarded with is better ways to market, which, yeah. which is not wrong. Okay. It's not wrong. You need to get good at marketing uh, for sure. And it is a master skill that everybody probably needs to lean into. But coaching can help you really overcome a lot of that. You do a lot, really good job with the people in front of you and you serve the people. And then you ask them to bring people. You can go a pretty good business. I, I probably had 100 clients before I ever ran a Facebook ad. Yeah. And so I think that's first. The second thing is spend more time investing in your community than shooting content. And again, this is another message that a lot of people yes. may disagree with me about, but I'm going to make a strong case. Let's say you have 2,000 followers. Probably 40% of them are your high school friends, your parents, and people that will never buy from you ever. Yeah. If we further segment the algorithm, probably 10% of the people that will buy from you are seeing it. So you spend all this time creating good content and reels and all these things. If we add all that up, and this is a lot of the advice that I know people are getting in the market now is like three posts a day and this. And it's like, man, while you're doing that, I'm out meeting 10 business owners. I'm working a field day at an elementary school. You know, I'm going and shadowing strength coaches at another school that I want to build a relationship with. I'm making sure at my coffee shop, I'm building rapport with them. So if I want to do a pop-up and make offers. Yeah. So invest in your local community. And this is something that I talked about when you had me speak at Physical Prep. Yep. Was that my philosophy is become a local legend, right? Yes. Own, own the block, own the county. Quit worrying about how popular you are in other places because they don't pay your bills. <laughs> now, if you're online or you're in the digital marketing space, totally different thing, right? Sure. But if we talk specific to brick and mortar, get out in your community, get out from behind your computer and go connect and talk to people. Nobody cares about your 15th video of how to do an RDL. They just don't <laughs> care. No. But if you go connect with them and you can reflect back that you can solve their problem, you got a pretty good shot at getting them as a client. Yeah. Dude, one, one of the only things, I'm not even going to say regret. I'm just going to be honest. One of the biggest things that we did not do well at IFAST was marketing. We just yeah. never did. Now, we were incredibly successful because we were really good coaches. Yep. And not just Bill and I, like the entire tree, the entire staff was really good coaches. But yeah, we ran a really successful business. And I'm not saying you should do it like that. Yep. That's not ideal. We all know that. But I'm just telling you, we were really successful in spite of our lack of marketing. Just because we were great coaches, we cared about our people, we got them results and the community we built. So you yeah. start with that. And if you get that entrenched, man, if you add like marketing, now you're just throwing jet fuel on the fire. And that's what we did. And it, yeah, so like, if sure. you get yourself out now and you built to have the money to do that, now, you, like you said, you throw gasoline on the fire and you do the paid marketing as well. Yep. And that's helped us a ton now because we have deep community relationships and we can throw more at marketing than most gyms are willing to do. Absolutely. All right, my guy. Last but not least, what's yep. next for Andy McCloy? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Other, You got to go appraise this building, right? Yeah. The next thing, and I, I keep wanting to say I can't jinx it, but that just shows you how worried <laughs> that I am something could fall through. But right. next is I want to, do again, dominate my community. And there's a couple cities that are within arm's reach of where I'm at that are growing rapidly because of how big this community has grown. Yep. 
and I've got an opportunity to buy a, a building. It's an 11,000 square foot building, and there's an existing baseball pitching hitting business in it that I would acquire as well. So we would create a new facility. It would be for athletes and adults, but it would be heavily leaning towards baseball, softball. I'll install an operator on the baseball side as long as that goes well. And if it doesn't, we'll, we'll shut it down and we'll build a, a bigger gym. Yeah. <laughs> but, but right now, that's what we're going to do. And the mission for me is to buy that building, um, use another asset, a gym, to pay off that building, and then repeat that. Come back here to Madison, get a building here, then maybe go Huntsville, Florence, some other cities around here as well. That's sick. Because I want to, I really want to own the real estate. That's the end game. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I'm so yeah. excited for you, man. Got awesome things going on. I just love where you're at. And always great catching up with you. For sure. For the people that are listening, where can they find out more about you? The Instagram and Facebook I'm on. I'm not on as much as a lot of people. I catch myself getting distracted and I consume yes. more than I create, which I don't really <laughs> like. Yeah. But if you want to reach out to me, Instagram's good, Andy McCloy underscore BCI, or on Facebook, Andy McCloy. Those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. That's perfect. I'll get the links in the show notes. So if you're listening, yep. find Andy there. And again, my guy, thank you so much for your time, brother. I appreciate it. Likewise, man. Really enjoyed this. Thank you. All right, my friends. That does it for this week's show with Andy McCloy. Really hope you enjoyed it. Man, I just love catching up with this guy. He's a wealth of information. He's so humble. I mean, look, he's had an incredible amount of success. But when you hear his story, it is not in any way, shape, or form linear. It is not in any way, shape, or form traditional. But man, the success he's achieved is just a testament to the fact that he's not going to give up. He will keep working. He will find the best people to learn from. And I think there's so many great lessons that you can learn from Andy. Man, I hope it came through in the show. I love catching up with him. And I hope ultimately it motivates you and it pushes you to become a better trainer or coach after you listen. Now, if you enjoyed the show, please do me one small favor. If you're not already subscribed to the show, go and do that right now. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube podcasts, we're even on Amazon. Wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now and hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.